welcome to the Profiles in Persistence show. I'm Dusty Rollins, founder and owner of Oxford Business Services. We help entrepreneurs and business owners maximize their profit and minimize their taxes. We believe there should be limits to how much the IRS can punish your success. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on this great inspirational daily podcast. Let's go. everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Patricia Rodriguez. Uh, I am a recovering trial lawyer and Patricia is an active trial lawyer. So I'm going to be very interested in that. But Patricia, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about the persistence in my journey. And that's what drew me to this uh, interview. So I'm very happy to be here. Well, let's just start with that uh, in, in the context of your educational professional background. Could you share with uh, our listeners a little bit of that about you? Sure. Um, in order to really give context to my educational background, I got to kind of start young, not to give you my whole life story, but um, I grew up homeless until I was seven. Uh, my mom was addicted to crack until I was about 13. Uh, and although, you know, she's been clean for 25 years, God bless her soul. She's my rock. Uh, it was definitely a trying experience as a child. Uh, poverty breeds neglect. And it is just, you know, difficult in those situations to find opportunity. Uh, but I was very, very driven at a very young age. When I was seven, I saw a lot of injustice and people constantly told me, if you want to make a difference, you need to be an attorney. So at like seven, I had no idea what an attorney was, but I was going to be that. <laughs> and so I went on this journey of just kind of putting my head down and studying and working and studying and working. And I initially applied to USC undergrad uh, to go to business school and I was rejected. <laughs> I guess that's how you can feel about it, but I did not get in. So I appealed their decision and they actually let me in for the spring semester. It's basically when they figured someone else would drop out, I could have that spot. And I took it. And it was an awesome four years at USC. I was on the mock trial team in high school for three years. I was on the mock trial team for college for three years. And I was on Temple's number one trial team in the country. And I've known, like I said, since I was seven, I wanted to be a trial attorney. So I did all of that to prepare myself to be the best trial attorney I could. After graduating law school, I had been clerking for the public defender's office as a senior law clerk, and they had a hiring freeze, a 100% hiring freeze. And the universe obviously had different plans for me. And so on day one of having my, you know, what, two weeks after having my license, I opened my own practice and I've had it ever since. So you mentioned Temple. Could you tell the audience about uh, what took you to Temple and a little bit about your experience at Temple University? Oh, absolutely. So uh, Temple University is ranked uh, number one trial school in the country. Uh, some would argue maybe Stetson University in Florida is all number one. So they, they kind of alternate between one and two. But as a trial school, it ranks above Harvard, Stanford, Yale. I mean, it's just if you want to be the best trial attorney, go where they, you know, the best are training, you know. So I went to Temple University um, for that reason, and they gave me a very generous scholarship, and I absolutely loved the school. It was a great experience. I was on their trial team. It was very competitive. Um, my last year there, they actually have a program that you can study abroad, and so I took a, them up on that and had one year where I didn't do trial team, and I went to Tokyo, and they have a, a, a campus, like, in Tokyo. So it's, like, American teacher, like, English teacher, 
teachers, English students. It's like temple in Tokyo. And so that was one of the most incredible experiences of my life was to get to, to train there and to get to learn there for four months. So as I recall, Temple is right in in, in the city, right? In Philly, oh, yeah. is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, I grew up in South Central, like on 47th and Broadway. So, you know, I thought it would all be the same. But, but you know, the people there are great. The people are very real. The people are very down to earth. Um, so, again, I, I was from the city. So, in fact, it felt more like a small town to me there. And uh, I was kind of homesick for the big metropolitan so um you are you are you back in California when you start your own law firm? I am. Yes, yes. My practice is right here in LA. So um tell us about your practice and maybe two or three of the the biggest challenges you had to overcome early on. So I started in my living room. I was tutoring elementary students and I was um waitressing on the side and that's the the capital I had to start and I was interviewing clients in my living room which was an interesting experience I realized that wasn't probably the safest and best thing to do so I started renting space from someone else and then ultimately I was able to get my own space and now I've been practicing and had my own firm for 11 years um there's a lot of great parts about it a lot of sexy parts I say you know but then there's some unsexy parts <laughs> that aren't so great um IRS audits EDD audits, you know, I, I've, I've been through it. <laughs> and so that's been some of more of the challenging parts. I um, did foreclosure defense for 10 years. I fought the banks, Chase, Wells Fargo, B of A on behalf of borrowers. Um, and for a long time, I was certified by the Bar Association to give credit to, you know, to teach classes where um, attorneys could get credit. And I even taught the ethics portion. And after about six years of that, the bar said, um, what you're doing isn't okay. And it's in violation of this strict liability statute that says you can't sue the bank and at the same time help a borrower with a modification. And I didn't believe that was true or correct. And so I fought them and I got charged with bar violations and I spent about $150,000 of my own money to go to trial on it. Ultimately, I took the 30-day suspension and I worked really hard to move past it. I still very much feel that I did the right thing for the right people for the right reasons. And I believe my intentions were pure and my intentions were good. And I understand they don't want an army of lawyers fighting the banks. I get it. But um, that was probably one of the more challenging things that I've gone through in my practice. Uh, but it actually made me a lot stronger. It made me appreciate certain things a lot more. And it made me refocus my energy on the business side instead of just the practice of law. And that's actually made 2020 and 2021 some of the best years so far. So that's really interesting because I think many lawyers, particularly, certainly we didn't learn that in law school and we don't think about that uh, early on in our in our careers, whether we're in a big firm, small firm, corporation, whatever it might be. And when you do have to, to face that, or that's not the right phrase, when you finally do look at that, it really does open your eyes to, to many different things. So I was wondering if you might share some of the things you learned by focusing more on the business side of your law practice at, in addition to the law side of your law practice. Absolutely. And so my background, right, is I went to business school and I had a concentration, a focus on, well, my concentration was on marketing and communications. So I had a whole background in this. So when I started my practice, I spent a lot of time with it and I developed it. But ultimately, I recognized that in order to make it all run and work at 120K a month, you've got to delegate. And so I delegated and I delegated and I delegated. And eight years later, I had completely delegated away the business side of the practice. And I had a company that was running my Google Ads campaign. 
It was terrible. The results were horrible. I was losing so much money. And so I was also fighting the bar charges, which made my reputation online take a hit. And so it was all just kind of crumbling. And when COVID-19 happened for me, it shut the courts down. And so it no longer made sense to fight the bar anymore. Just take the 30 days while everything shut down and everything shutting down and literally 10 clients leaving in one day, never seen it in 11 years, but they just didn't need me overnight or they couldn't afford me overnight. What that meant was, is I had time again. And so I took that time last year and I went on a webinar sprint and I learned everything I could learn about the most cutting edge. Like, what could I do to, to, to reinvent myself and the firm? And so in doing that, I found out about subscription plans. In doing that, I found out about Google Screen local ad services. That's been the best investment I've made in five years. And it's totally turned my practice around. And I also, you know, switched up the area of law. I'm doing criminal and family law. And that's my background. I love criminal law. It's like, it's like the most amazing things have happened for me. I've been able to stop doing work that I wasn't super passionate about, do work that I am so passionate about. And financially, like my revenue is trending up and my expenses are trending down. I also took this extra time I had and I went through and I, I looked at my bank statements and not an accountant. I did this personally. I went through my bank statements. I saw, I found every single expense I had. I put that in another spreadsheet. Okay, I'm tracking my expenses now. I then took those expenses I was tracking and I said, okay, how can I combine some of these expenses? How can I eliminate some of them? How can I switch some of them to another company? I literally cut down about $10,000 in expenses just by paying attention to the expenses. So, you know, turning back to the business side of things has absolutely helped my practice flourish. I think sometimes we have to admit that no one is going to go as hard about our business as we are. If you want something done right, do it yourself. There's that part of it. So for me, refocusing on the business side of the practice has, you know, taken us from 45 cases to 85 cases and climbing. And it, you know, it's just, it's been a, it's been an amazing couple of years. And especially after 17, 18, and 19 being more difficult, you know, more grueling years where there were moments where I really thought I might just throw in the towel, like to be on the other side of it and to be just passionate about it all again. And, and I'll just say this last thing, you know, I think it's that undeniable, unwavering belief that you can change the world. That's really what motivates me every morning and makes these years so much better than the other years. Like that undeniable, unwavering belief that you can change the world. So you said a lot there. So let me see if I can pack a few of the things. Uh, the first part or the first thing that struck me is you're absolutely right. If you want something done right, do it yourself. And I'm a solo, so I heartily believe that. The struggle I have and what I perhaps might seek your guidance on is how do you balance that concept with I have to delegate? I spend four hours a day on social media. It is killing me, but it's the way I you know, blast out all my stuff. How do you... Is there a fine line? Is it a balance? Is it a trust issue or is it something else? So a couple of things on that, right, is I was taught, and I think it's true, you have to be the master of delegation. And USC also taught me that we're all best at something, right? So if you take, for instance, like a car assembly line, right? You could have a person start at the beginning of the assembly line, take the first, or it's an easier one. How about a doll? Someone's putting together a Barbie doll. You could have someone take the head, the arms, the leg, and put it all together themselves, just one person. 
but that's not what they do. They have someone who sits there and all they do is pop on the head. They have someone else who sits there and all they do is pop on the legs. And they have someone else who sits there and all they do is pop on the arms. Why do they do it like that? That's because they want everybody to do what they're best at. So you should only be doing what you are best at. So I'm best at practicing law. My business manager is best at managing the business. My associate uh, is best at doing the pleadings. You know, everybody has to do what they're best at. Now, sometimes it does require me to step in like I did last year and do it because I was the best person for it until I found companies that I could hire, like whoever is managing my website, that's what they're best at. Whoever's doing my reviews, that's what they're best at. So try to figure out what everybody is best at and delegate out the things that you can for them to do what they're best at. And you just stay doing what you're best at. Now, when you talk about social media taking you four hours, that tells me that it's not automated. I can, like my system now, I, I do, I have a Facebook profile that I'm, I generate a ton of business off of. And I, I have listings on over, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitch. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on just everything you can think of, but I have automated it in such a way, for instance, with Facebook, with messenger, there's a, there's a, um, extension you can use called Chatzillow. So again, on Facebook Messenger, there's an extension you can use called Chatzilla, 30 bucks. It allows you to chat. It, first of all, it allows you to label everybody in Messenger. So you can label somebody like attorney uh, referral source or somebody else, potential attorney referral source. You can then pick that tag and mass message everybody. So this is how I'm able to talk to 300 people on Messenger all at once or specific categories at one time. So automation has really, really, really helped me to um, spend less time at stuff like social media. Um, I, my system now, I spend maybe an hour a week on social media. Now, if you looked at my social media, you'd have no idea. You'd think I spent every day all day. You'd think I'd have a person who's paid just to do that. But again, once you've set up these automated systems, you're able to, another thing I recommend to people is something like Calendarly. I use Acuity. But Acuity, again, $25 a month, automates you setting up phone calls. I can set up phone calls with 25 clients in one email by sending them a link versus I used to have to do it one at a time to, you know, back and forth emails with them. Why do I bring that up in this context? Because if I can automate the scheduling of things, then that gives me back time to do other stuff. So automation has really made the practice more viable on a bigger scale with less staff. Hmm. I have to get more guidance from you on that point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, no, I have lawyers literally who call me from all over the country, literally all over the country to have a 20, 30 minute chat with me about, you know, how, how the Google screen works and how my social media works. And I'm absolutely here for that. You know, I like to pay it forward. I didn't get here alone or by myself. And I, I recognize, you know, by supporting one another, like, look at one point, you know, when things were struggling, like when I was all about like turning things around, I thought about what can I do to make it a better world? Like, how can I be positive? I literally started going around interacting with people and leaving them reviews online because it's like, Hey, I might not be able to support you financially with money, but I can always support you with a positive review after I've gotten to know you. And then they did it in return for me. All that positivity I was putting out has only flowed back to me in, in just tons and tons of gratitude. I do kind of want to put a plug right now for one thing is I've noticed since I started helping people with the Google screen, that it's predominantly been black women who've reached out to me. And I think that speaks to the fact that they're under supported. And I just want to say to anybody listening, please support your black women. They need 
need you. They they absolutely deserve your help in every fashion and form. And I absolutely encourage everyone to reach out to a Black woman and help her in any way you can. Let me take that last thought in a little bit different direction, but one that you touched on, which is I have found there's also really a lack of knowledge in the minority community about how to use social media as effectively as, as perhaps you or I, and that there's really no resource in the minority community to give that sort of uh, specific information out. So uh, I have seen a couple of people start, uh, not exactly nonprofits, but a part of their business where they dedicate to helping minorities understand how to use LinkedIn, how to use Twitter, how to use Facebook, how to be use, utilize the other social media tools. So if you're listening to this podcast and you find yourself in that category, uh, there are people who can help you. And uh, I think probably either one of us would be happy to to do that as well. So uh, I really thought that that was interesting. Um, so let me ask you about your subscription model uh, because um, I really try to avoid practicing law at all costs now, uh, and I do podcasting. But uh, when I first went out on my own the last time, I developed the subscription model, and what I found was clients absolutely loved it. Once you could, uh, most of my clients were in-house practitioners. Once they got past the the stumbling of, you mean you're not going to charge me by the hour? Uh, mm-hmm. No, I'm not. Uh, I'm going to be here for you. But I wanted to ask you about how you you talk about how you came across a subscription model, how you were able to develop it for your uh, um, law practice, and then uh, what it's been like going forward. Oh, absolutely. So as I was saying, um, I mentioned that I did a um, webinar sprint. And in doing that webinar sprint, I'm going to throw a few names at you right now. Some of the people that have been just super helpful in my journey. Jeff Talbot, that's G-E-O-F-F Talbot. And he is the Facebook profile guru. If you want to make your Facebook profile, not a Facebook page, but your Facebook profile, if you want to make that into a money generating, referral generating, you get. Andrew Stickle, he is amazing for Google My Business. He will optimize that baby. And I mean, he's all things social media. James Cooper helps you with videos. He's the video guru. And Sam, I'm going to botch his last name, M-O-L-L-A-E-I. Okay, Sam is the one who put me onto Google screen and again, is a great social media guru. I throw all of them out there to say, I also work with Alex Rodriguez and Alex Rodriguez is with one one 400. He used to work for LegalZoom and he helped build LegalZooms. He was a part creator in LegalZooms business model and their business plan. So he's the person I I ran across a webinar, listened to his webinar, and he is the subscription plan guru, if you want to have a subscription plan. He helped me create, and this is something else I heard in that same webinar and something you really should take out of this podcast. You will have multiple iterations of things. You will have multiple iterations of things. It won't, it'll be a living, breathing document experience. It won't just be the first time. So like I created my own subscription plan sent it off to Alex Rodriguez and said, what did you think? We then developed it some more. Then we posted it online. We didn't get much traction. Okay. And then we developed it some more. So my practice, I predominantly function on flat fees. I rarely, if ever, do an hourly 
retainer. The accounting in it, although you do still have to do some accounting with flat fees at the end if they want to, re- if they want, you know, to see where they're okay, sure. But the majority of my cases, I'm not doing accountings. And just in general, it's just easier, in my opinion, to do flat fees. I could go on and on about there, lots of reasons for that. Okay. But going from a flat fee structure to a subscription plan wasn't a big change for us. So our subscription plan started off with like, you know, big tiers, $5,000, $2,500, you know, big amounts. Ultimately, the subscription plan we have now is for one sole purpose. It is for people who want to do a small claims matter. They want to either prosecute or defend a small claims matter in which they can't have an attorney, but they can hire us for $999 one time one fee, and we will help them package their either small claims prosecution or defense of a small claims matter. We also give them a portal to go into. We actually partner with another company that was doing this before uh, we offered it. And so we actually, you know, we, we charge 999 we pay them 300, they do all the paperwork and we're the middleman, you know, so we actually have a subcontractor that does all the paperwork. And so they have a portal set up and it's, it's automated, the whole system is flawless. And then we, what we're there for, in addition to them getting all the paperwork through this portal, through the subcontractor is to go over it all with them. Now we offer unlimited time with the attorney, but this is the reality of things. No one takes the, the all the time in the world, like, People have things to do with themselves, okay? So people are always afraid in these subscription plans if they offer unlimited conversations that they're just always going to be on the phone with these clients and they're going to be calling them an obnoxious amount of time. And But that's not real. Like that's a fear-based ex- like thought process with it. So I encourage everyone, like let go of the fears. Like whatever fear you have associated to whatever you're thinking about doing, let it go and just do it and see what happens. And then you can manage it as you do it, you know? So again, it's been a lot of iterations for us. We haven't seen a lot of traction with the subscription plan as it is in small claims, but I think that is much more a reflection of the courts all but not processing small claims right now. You know, the, the courts are very slow with things because of COVID, small claims being at almost the bottom of the bottom of the bottom when it comes to the court's concerns. You know, you've got criminal, then you've got, you know, civil unlawful detainer eviction cases, then you've got limited cases, then you've got unlimited cases, and then somewhere down there is small claims. So I think once the courts open up more and things are moving faster, especially over here in California, when the if and when the um, landlords are permitted to go after these um, homeowner, I mean, after these tenants for back rents, they're going to be chomping at the bit for, you know, they're going to have $30,000, $45,000 owed in back rents. And for $9.99, they can get assistance on trying to recover that. I expect that the subscription plan is going to, you know, be very lucrative going forward. The nice part about the subscription plan also is it's all automated. So like, it doesn't require anything from me except one or two phone calls. So for 700 bucks, it's good. It's good profit margin. The, um, let me talk about your passion and you've explained, you know, your passion. You've certainly demonstrated that throughout this podcast. How are you able to not so much share that passion with your clients or customers, but with those who work with you and for you, do they have that same passion? Do you have difficulty finding people that share your passion? Uh, do you have a, a support group of equally passionate people? How does that work for you? I feel so blessed in that regard. I have a team of people who are literally family. I, mean, I can't even say like family, they're family. And we, you know, 
The passion is shown through the fact that despite our financial troubles in 17, 18, and 19, and when I say our financial troubles, whenever the firm is struggling, the individual people working for the firm are struggling financially, individually, you know, they all know I started in in my living room. So they all appreciate and respect that I don't have millions of dollars sitting in a bank account, you know, where I can draw from my own personal resources to manage or deal with whatever the firm is going through. But despite that, like they're also hit, like they believe it on some days, like will bring a tear to my eye whenever I struggle. They believe in me and what we're doing some days more than I believe in myself. Like they are all so very committed to what we're doing and they are all equally, if not more passionate about helping our clients. And I've been blessed, you know, it does take time. Everybody doesn't fit my model. Everybody doesn't fit with my firm, but you know, the majority, the majority of people with my firm are like my friends, like people that like I was a roommate with or people that were my neighbors behind us, people, you know, they're all referred by somebody. I know everybody very personally, intimately because we're growing right now. I did just add in one new person, um, but it took me trying someone else first, them not having that passion, them not being a good fit. I'm a difficult person. I'm a difficult person to work with. I'm not going to say otherwise. Like I recognize that about myself. And so, you know, I tend to like to work with people who are a lot more easygoing than me, but it's because I also, you know, know what I want, how I want it done. And, and it's my, it's my responsibility. It's my practice. So I have to be willing to say, this is what it's going to be. She didn't work out. That was fine. We found someone else. He's amazing. He's amazing. I mean, he he has that passion. He has that love. So I think the team stays with me on everything because they see that like at no point am I going to give up. At no point are they going to, you know, suffer. At no point are they going to not have what they're supposed to have. You know, at, at no point is like, are we quitting on our clients, on ourselves or on our practice? And they all live with that same desire and passion. And frankly, most of my team all work remotely. Like I only have one staff that comes inside the office. And so it is all done through um, Google and it's all done through Gchat. And so it's like, if, if I didn't trust them, if they didn't care about it, if they weren't passionate, it wouldn't work. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't have people out in remote land that you aren't macro micromanaging and have success if they aren't about it. Let me turn to something uh, a little bit different, which is uh, the coronavirus health crisis, COVID-19. You spoke about how that was actually turned out to be a positive for you in some ways that you were able to to, uh, recalibrate and refocus. But I wanted to ask about uh, what's kind of going on, not simply in Southern California, because we read you guys are really having a tough time, but the court system and the, the legal justice system, how has coronavirus affected those kind of bigger picture questions that many lawyers have about justice and the justice system. Yeah. I mean, I'm here in LA, like in the epicenter. Um, I've been pretty much on lockdown. I don't leave my house. I I like, I look at it like this, like I'm not going to take any other risk in any other way. The only risk I take are when I have to go to the jail because I do. And, or when I have to go to court, because I do, you know, and sometimes that has to do with the criminal defendant. Like maybe he's in custody. How am I going to talk to him on the phone? You know, how am I, how is that going to work? I have to go in and I have to see him. Um, Sometimes it's a domestic violence restraining order. And personally, I just haven't, they didn't teach us this in law school and I haven't gotten comfortable just yet. Granted, I haven't done it either. Um, I'm going to be doing it on the 28th, but one of these like Zoom 
hearings where you've got to do testimony over Zoom, like, and you've got to cross-examine someone over Zoom. I mean, ultimately, I'm going to have to get used to it and get it done and do it, um, but I'm not looking forward to it. And so um, I've been kind of pushing hearings back and I've been going to court when otherwise, you know, I would have had to do it over Zoom. But I'm also very conscious. Like I wear a mask. I wear a mask in my car. I wear a mask pretty much every time I, lo- I leave my house. I wash my hands profusely. I um, use hand sanitizer. Like I have it in my purse. I wear gloves. I change my gloves like every 30 minutes to an hour when I'm in these places. Um, and so, you know, God got like, God's got me so far almost a year in and I, you know, haven't been sick. No one in my inner circle has been sick. People on my team have gotten it gotten very sick, been in the hospital, you know, that someone might be out for two weeks while I'm covering somebody. So that part's been challenging. Um, but th- thank God, none of, I haven't lost any of my team members, you know, like they haven't lost any of their family members from what I know. So we all feel very blessed in that. Uh, as far as justice goes, you know, I think the people who are suffering the most are the criminal defendants, you know, and as a criminal defense attorney, it's hard. It's hard to see this. Like they're, they're in isolation. They're in 24 hour isolation. Like they're just, they're in, in solitary 24 hours so they can keep them separate. So that it doesn't spread as much. I've got clients who are begging me to get them out because solitary confinement, like it was ever meant for this. Like it wasn't meant for this long-term, you know, and people start to lose their mind. Like when they don't have any, you know, when it's 23 hours in solitary confinement and one hour out, like it, that, that part is just, you know, it's heart wrenching, like, and it's hard. And people, a lot of people don't care because they say, Hey, it's a criminal defendant. He got charged with something or he got convicted of something. So who cares? But I care, like, I care. Like, that's not the way it works. They're still humans. They're still people. Like they still breathe and they still have those thoughts going through their heads for 23 hours that they've got to live with, you know? So I just also don't want to see a generation of, or a group of people who are released later on that have mental health issues, you know, the psychosis that have been brought on by these decisions that are being made right now. So um, that part is definitely the hardest part in terms of the system and, and what's happening with the people that I work with. Patricia, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if any of our listeners wanted to uh, get in touch with you, follow up on anything you've talked about or find out more about you or your firm, where can they go? Oh, absolutely. You can check us out at www.attorneyprod.com. That's our website. And you can reach us by phone at 626-888-5206. The fastest, bestest, and easiest way to get in contact with me is to email me at prod at attorneyprod.com. That's prod at attorneyprod or prod at attorneyprod.com. Patricia, I want to thank you. This has been a great interview. Uh, I'm really looking forward uh, to perhaps uh, continuing the conversation later. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And just everybody stay safe out there. Wishing everybody a wonderful 2020 and all the blessings in the world. Patricia, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our host. It's a guy named Dusty Rollins. And Dusty has, uh, this actually might interest you because he has a tax strategy company. It's not an accountant. It's not someone who does your taxes. He takes a look at your business from a holistic view and then um, gives you advice on how you can not simply lower your tax bill, but also increase revenues by moving uh, different revenue streams into different types of investments. So if you're interested, I would suggest you check out Dusty at www.thetaxcure and you can schedule a time. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) 
Dusty Rollins here. Thank you so much for listening to Profiles in Persistence. If you're a successful business owner or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit thetaxcure.com slash podcast slash apply. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Profiles in Persistence. I love seeing your posts and your guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content, so make sure you don't miss any episodes and go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, www.thetaxcure.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.